Hello and welcome to First Flight, a Star Trek Enterprise rewatch podcast where we are watching and discussing each episode of Enterprise in succession. First Flight is a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Network. This is Commander Tucker of Enterprise. We've got some information you're going to want to hear. Welcome, Enterprise fans. I'm your co-host, Abby. And I'm your co-host, Chris. Yes, regular listeners, we have added a new co-host this season. And if you want to learn more about the amazing Chris, scroll back an episode in your feed to episode 29, the introduction to season two. You can learn all about him and his history and uh, hear some of his thoughts on season one. So I am so thrilled to have you joining me, Chris. Well, thanks, the amazing Abby. (laughs) All right. So this would normally be where you hear our co-host Melanie introduce herself. But as I said in our last little episode, I need to let all of our listeners know she has accepted a medical transfer to the NXO2 Columbia, and we will still be getting occasional subspace communications from her when she's in range. And you will still hear her quote Jonathan Archer at the end of each episode in our moment of Melanie. Our shuttle bay is always open for her at any time, and we wish her nothing but health and happiness on our sister ship. All right, so now we, before we begin our discussion, we need to issue a read alert. Tactical alert. All hands to stations. There are potential spoilers ahead. We might end up talking about any part of this series at any time, even though we are focusing on one episode of season one. So you have all been warned. All right. So we needed to go back and hear a little bit about Chris's thoughts about the first part of Shockwave before we dive into the second half. And since in season two, we are doing a little bit of a different format with pros and decons. Still loving. (laughs) Yep. Things that don't gel with us. Never get bored of that. (laughs) No, it's going to be a great joke every single time. I hope all the listeners laugh and groan along with us because that's the best way to start an episode is a great pun. All right. But so, Chris, we're going to talk about you and your thoughts on Shockwave Part 1 in that same way with some pros and decons. So let's start with your pros. Pro number one is about how T'Pol uses logic to kind of kick Archer in the butt and cheer him up. (laughs) I love this moment. And as we said in, in the last episode, like I love the development of that relationship between to Paul and Archer. And this is just one of those critical moments in that development. Yeah, that scene is is so powerful. And I you can see both of them using what they've learned and how they've developed that trust. I mean, even the fact that Tapal knows to throw that water polo ball back yes. and forth so that he is physically doing something while he's having this really emotional, really intense conversation because he needs that to be able to get it out emotionally and physically at the same time. And I just, I love the way that she can pair it back to him, his own, his Mm. own thoughts and his own feelings in a different way and kind of call him to task. And even when he tells her that she's out of line, they both know that she's the right one to be having this conversation right now with him. Yeah. He's kind of has to say that, but he, 
he doesn't really mean it. <laughs> exactly. And they both know it. <laughs> yeah. And I I just love how she she reminds him that most of his decisions are unquestionable. Yeah. And that it's his duty to stand up for himself and his crew and the mission and all of Starfleet. Um, so I really appreciate that moment. It's it's so satisfying to have a Vulcan in this series at this point in Star Trek um backing the humans. Yeah, it is it is a great relationship and it it's such a nice parallel to how we we see the rest of the Vulcans. We see her her forming that that first connection and that first bridge and using it to show her people that th this is an ally that will really help us and be a partner in the future and it, it starts here. It's a very Kirk Spock kind of relationship. They're very intimately connected. And they rely on each other. They've come to rely on each other and trust each other, even though they have different points of view and different ways to respond to situations. They they are better together. Yeah, and it's it's so it's so interesting too. Like when Archer is leaving later on, and you can see echoes of that conversation mirrored in both of their faces and how they they respond to each other when he thinks he's you know walking to sell to Silic and his doom. And mm. it's just nice to see those, those little threads and those, those little through lines in not just this season, but in this episode in particular. Well, that, you know, that brings me to my next um, pro, which is when Archer heroically decides to board Silic's pod. <laughs> oh, yes. Right? It's just the, the, on the bridge when he, when Scott Bakula shows his mind turning and shifting and declaring to himself, this is it. Yeah. I'm going. I'm placing you in command. I advise you to maintain your present course and speed. I don't know what's going to happen, but try to keep an open mind, especially when it comes to things the Vulcan science director, it says, are impossible. I'll try. Captain, this is crazy. How do you know what they're going to do? Paul's in command now, Trip. Do whatever you can to help her. That goes for all of you. Keep an eye on Porthos for me, would you? Remember, no cheese. And he turns to go to that um, turbo lift and the, just the horns swell. And there's that Archer's theme, but it's distorted and fragmented. Yes. Which, oh, it's so wonderfully nuanced in the scoring. And you know, a lot of the a lot of the music in TNG to um well, like TNG season four to Enterprise is kind of bland wallpaper, but sometimes we get melody like this. Yeah. And that really enhances the scene. So I I, I love that moment. So that is my next pro. Yeah, I second everything that you said about how you can see 
in Archer, all of that running through his mind and him trying to game out the possibilities and coming mm-hmm. to this answer. And one of the things about that scene that that always gets me too is when he goes into the turbo lift, he said his little goodbye pieces and, you know, made sure Porthos was taken care of and all of that. And when he walks into the turbo lift, he faces the back and the door closes behind him and he doesn't turn back around. Mm -hmm. I mean, he doesn't turn back around until he gets to where he thought he was going and there's, you know, dystopia. And I just think that is, that is a moment we have all felt perhaps not with the amount of, gravitas to the entire universe that Archer is feeling at that moment. But we have all had that moment of, I am struggling to keep myself under control right now. And I cannot look at anybody or say anything more at this moment, or I will lose it. And that was exactly where he was. (laughs) Or he might not lose it. He might lose his resolve and not go. Yeah. So yeah, I I agree. I think that's what a wonderful um, little bit of blocking there. I don't know if that was Bacula's choice, the director, but it was wonderfully done. Absolutely. It lent a powerful end to that entire scene that was itself very powerful. Let's shift a little bit to my next pro, which is when that seamless transition from Archer's quarters on Enterprise to his room on Earth in the past. Yeah. So well done. He's look, calling for Porthos and and then he's on Earth in the past. And the first thing I always notice is, damn, Bacula is fit. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and you don't you can't see it underneath the, those uniforms hide the work everything he puts in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that is, you know. Hey, our captain is one of the best physically and mentally, right? There you go. Well, I I will reiterate that if I ever travel through time and space and I end up somewhere else and I'm wearing half the clothing I was wearing <laughs> when I started, I think that might be higher on my list. But, you know, if, if I had a chest like that, you know, I would probably sleep <laughs> shirtless too. I, I think so. Me too. <laughs> um, anyway, I love his conversation um, or his, yeah, his conversation with Trip about going to see Enterprise and in Orbital Six or whatever the little pod's name was, mm-hmm. and then um, him doing research to look for sh- uh, flocks. Yeah, that was great. Just this world building. That was smart for real. And he's talking to himself because he has to because his TV. But he's like, I, I, I didn't even know flocks existed until after Clang and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's neat to see him piece it out. Yes. And then we have Daniels. (laughs) And I just love, it's always engaging when Daniels shows up and has one of his ambiguous time conversations. (laughs) (laughs) That is the perfect way to phrase it, yes. And he's he's enjoying it. And Mm -hmm. Archer has no patience for this ambiguity. He's like, just tell me, just tell me. Yeah, um, I just love that dynamic back and forth. No, I agree. One of the things that that I love that I hate about this episode is in that scene where when it ends and they're finally talking about, OK, here's all the things that you're going to need to know to do this plan. And then, boom, it's commercial. And I'm like, uh-uh, 
no, this is not fair. I need the next five minutes. I want this scene to be longer. I want more details. I want more from Daniels. I want to spend more time in Archer's apartment, which is gorgeous, by the way. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I, this scene, it, it's so cool because you know that the entire flow of where this was going or where you thought this was going has now completely shifted. And that's neat. It is. Oh, it is so totally is. And that's why this is such a shocking episode is because it, it starts so day in the life. Mm-hmm. We're going to go down and meet these people, then disaster. And, and then the mission's over. And uh, by the way, I mean, how, what a perfect bookend structurally, Yeah, you know, the mission is going to start a little early in broken bow and then it's yep. now it's going to be canceled mm-hmm. and it's, that's what's at stake the mission not earth not not anything really to our characters besides their ability to explore yeah um and i think that's wonderful and their guilt for holding back their people yes Yes, because, and they're thinking about jobs. Like, you think about that mess hall scene between Hoshi and Travis, and they're talking about what they're going to do next, and and that's mm. that's what Archer is referring to. He feels bad for everybody who isn't going to have the life or the path that he they thought they were because of a choice that he made, and that's a yeah. lot of weight to carry on your shoulders, a lot. And I think we see that you were talking about, you know, the transitions, that when he's first back from that and he tells Trip, Whoa, uh keep your shirt on lieutenant <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think i know where you're going and can we save that absolutely okay thank you <laughs> all right so let's move on to the decons then the parts of the episode that just didn't gel with you and besides the laugh that gets every time do you have anything <laughs> you want to put in this section chris yeah i got two things um Number one is that Starfleet so easily caved to the Vulcan's recommendation to shut down the program. I don't buy that. I I just don't, unless we got that scene where the command council is debating it, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's the missing scene from this episode for me, because that would be where the ethical dilemma is being discussed. Um, and would be really, really interesting back and forth between Vulcans and the command council. And I got to believe that uh, Forrest would be on the side of, you know, preserving the mission. Yeah. I, I would love to see that. So I just don't buy that the Vulcans would convince or Starfleet would just cave so easily. Yeah, that very fair point. And I have always thought that the freedom that Star Trek has gotten when it's moved to streaming services to be a little longer or a little shorter than the exact time really serves it well because this would have been the perfect time after Archer and Forrest talk. And that is such a beautiful and moving conversation. And they know each other so well. And they're talking on the level of both friends and colleagues Mm -hmm. and a superior officer in there to then cut to the meeting with Forrest and the Vulcans and all of the, the higher ups who were going to make this choice and even cut to like the summation arguments or whatever it would have been to hear them wrap it up. But it could have been a whole mini series in there too. No, you just made me think like, I like they they cut to their discussion, their debate and we get a lot of the viewpoints put out, but we don't get that resolution. Mm, until Archer. Yes. Right. Until it are, we go back on the NX one and we get that, that, announcement 
Yes, that would have been perfect. That would have been, you know, the extra five to six minutes that they needed to to get that in there. That would have been perfect mm. connective tissue. So I agree with that decon. And if we ever get to reboot and rework stuff, then in control of the Star Trek universe, we're adding the scene. Oh, wouldn't that be a, a dream? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, to go into my second decon, it just didn't. I just, I just. Daniel's outfit in the future doesn't gel with me. I just, it's so <laughs> horrible. It doesn't flatter him at all um, with the, like the ribbing that's kind of yeah ri- uh, rippling around his torso and pointing down to his nether regions. Like, I don't know <laughs> what is going on there. And it makes me think of Galaxy Quest, especially with his hair. Oh, yeah, that haircut's the worst. <laughs> it really is. And the fact that someone took the time to change it from when he was in his Starfleet getup yeah. to when he's in his tubule getup to the worst hair. And we cannot chalk that up to it being the 2000s. Like, we just can't. That's just bad hair. You know, no, just thinking in-universe, Daniels took the time to redo his hair. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I guess the the man knows what he likes, right? I guess so. And, and not to take anything away from his performance, you know, he really sells looking at this the lack of a monument. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that's in the second part, but that's that's where my mind just went. But yeah, the, his costume is just... If they had a belt, maybe, to divide the, to- the torso <laughs> from the bottom, that would help. Well, and I always thought that those tubes were just dying to have, like, lights or, like, oh, goo yeah. or something. More like the diviner suit and Prodigy with, like, stuff yeah. going through them. Because then you could see, okay, this is a bulky, unflattering suit. But it's some sort of time suit, and it's bulky and unflattering because it's doing stuff like all spacesuits do, you know. Or it's it's program programmable matter running in Ooh. there. That would be so cool. That would be cool, man. If it's programmable matter and he chose that, then he really does need a fashion <laughs> intervention. Just a belt, you know. When when Odo puts on the belt, I don't go for it. But Daniel's a belt is needed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I'm usually singing the praises of costuming in Enterprise, but I, I will side with you on this one and say the costume distracts from the performance and the story of Daniels because it's just silly. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we agree because I was worried about, you know, your I know your your costume love is strong. <laughs> And I'm glad we have a similar opinion here. Well, there will be many other great costumes to talk about, I'm sure. So this one, they're always in anything. There is always a top and a bottom. And, it, you know, I can still love Daniels and dislike his clothing choice. And but with his with his costume, there's only one piece. There's no top and bottom. <laughs> all right, listeners. Sorry for all the groans, but not really because they're fabulous. <laughs> okay. I'm a dad, so I've earned it. There you go. On that note, I think I hear a dog barking. All right. After this chat, we get to come to your favorite part of the episode, Chris. And I think it might be something we briefly touched on. So can you tell us your Porthos pick for Shockwave Part 1? Yes. Okay. It's it's a simple moment. It's a simple one line. When Archer turns to Trip and says, it wasn't us, Trip. I mean, I just get goosebumps right now saying that the the weight of all that guilt yeah. and those deaths yeah. are off their shoulders and their future is now not in question. 
Yeah, that is so powerful. And like you were saying before, sometimes you can listen to Star Trek and be absolutely fine with it and not miss anything. Well, I always rewatch these episodes multiple times before we talk about them to make sure I, I mm-hmm. catch a lot of stuff. I never look away for that moment. And mm-hmm. if for some reason I miss it, I rewind because it is that good. Like both of them with the relationship they have, again, a professional relationship and a friendship relationship, the way that he can say that because he knows that not only is that exactly what his friend needs to hear, but mm-hmm. it's what his chief engineer needs mm-hmm. to hear because I mean, they've been going over every scan and every bit of data and thinking, what did I possibly miss? That is an absolutely perfect interaction. And you can see Tripp's shoulders just go down when he sighs like mm-hmm. that. He doesn't have to have a word. It is a completely nonverbal release of that tension right there. So that is a and, beautiful pick. And we feel it too. Like yeah. we're right there with him. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to cheat because I have <laughs> another one. And I figured that's okay because you're not giving one. This, <laughs> there you episode. go. So we, we can, we usually have two mm-hmm. uh, between us. So we'll, we'll hopefully I can get away with a second one. Absolutely. I, I grant you my, my Porthos pick uh, portion. There we go. Okay. There we go. So this is between Archer and DePaul again, where he just needs her to believe him about time travel. Yeah. He's like, he just, he feels alone in processing the reality of this insane thing. <laughs> like in, <laughs> I'm just thinking of like in, um, in Voyager, when they go back to 1996, it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> James yeah. was like, Oh, keyboards. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Put on a two rag and cover up your ears too. Yeah. Burritos <laughs> for breakfast. You freakosaurus. But, but they're not like, Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Yeah. And and I I really appreciate that the writers kept this scene in for in the time because it's super important the human aspect that they're just grappling with all these concepts. Yeah. Um so that that makes it t- touch closer to our experience. Um and of of course it's another one of those moments that further develops the T'Pol Archer relationship, which is a special one in this series. Yeah. And I think it it is one of those moments too, where you see that she gives him a different amount of leeway and trust than she does pretty much anybody else, even, even trip at this point, because they have been through some stuff together and Mm. he has changed her mind before. So Mm -hmm. she's not saying, okay, you've changed my mind. She's saying, I respect you and honor you enough to say that I will give you the possibility of my mind being changed. And that's all she can give, but it's all he needs. And that's a really powerful moment. And the, Mm -hmm. the look she gives him, like I know Melanie and I have gone on and on about Jolene Billy Lux face acting, but the tiniest little muscles change in her face and you see his tension release a bit, just like Trips did, because she's giving him that assent. Okay, I will, I will keep an open mind for you. I, no, go ahead. No, and I was just gonna say that I really like when he talks back about the Vulcan Science Director, and he's like, "Well, good for them," because it's such <laughs> a human moment too. And I think it it shows her the point he's at where he's throwing sarcasm out like that when he hasn't done that since the very beginning of their time together. So it, it's 
telling her something again with not having to spell it out. They just know each other that well. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you mentioned the the subtle movements of muscles in her face. Yeah. (laughs) It just occurred to me that like, that's, that's, that's what every actor who plays a Vulcan has to do. Yeah. So like people like Tim Russ and Jolene Blaylock, man, they must have like really strong facial muscles. They probably work them out for 17 hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. I can only imagine, but what talent and what a specific gift it is to be able to do so much with the very limited range that you are given playing a Vulcan. So I will never heap anything but praises on them. And I often find myself drawn to those Vulcan type or logical type characters because I wish I had more of that in my own personal control. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize that's why I love data and Spock. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. All right. So on that note, and those two beautiful picks, which are absolutely great for your first time out of the gate, I have to ask you for your very first Vulcan's verdict, your grappler rating for this episode. So Chris, on a scale of one to 10 grapplers with half grapplers possible, how do you rate the episode? Well, I, like I said, I love it. There's so much good about it. Um, it's a nine out of 10 for me. Nice. And the reason it's a nine is number one, Daniel's uniform. (laughs) (laughs) It breaks the spell for you. It really does. It really does. Um, And, but number two is the lack of the ethical dilemma being explored more of whether the mission should continue or not. There's just no debate. They give up immediately. Starfleet does. And so does Archer. And, and, you know, to the writer's credit, to Paul calls them out. But mm-hmm. if they had that scene or a scene where the characters are going through the the ethical dilemma of even if we were responsible, should this stop set us back for twenty years? What's yeah. the ethics of that? How would that limit and limit the human race and you know all the resources spent at this point you know what's the utility of that all that kind of stuff so if those questions were asked and and dug into a little bit i would have been get, able to give this a 10 um but oh well no a 9.5 cuz you know daniel is still there but <laughs> 9 out of 10 i think it's a good one for my first one yeah i think we both have said before how much we like this one and i will reiterate again about how this was a long summer for me when I watched this in first broadcast. I remember thinking all summer, how are they going to do this? He's stuck in time. There's portals. The ship is being taken over by Sulaban. Like it was, it was a long summer. It was not best of both worlds. I will give it that, but it, it was probably the second one up there for me. I was really invested in, in this crew and this plot and the temporal cold war I swore was written right for me. So this was, Definitely a carrot dangling for me to come back in the fall. This is an excellent way to end a strong first season of a show. And, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's daring. It, it's shocking, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things that are shocking in this episode. And that's that pull out from the skyscraper to the destroyed planet yeah. is a shocking moment to leave us on. So yeah, it's well, well executed. My chronometer is running backwards, sir. Incoming transmission. You read my letter.
Regular listeners know what that soundbite means. Daniels has sent us back in the timeline to get your feedback. But we're doing it a bit differently this season. Instead of doing a little bit on every episode of listeners' Porthos picks, grappler ratings, and other fun feedback, we'll be doing an episode from time to time that will be dedicated to listener responses and our thoughts on them. We call these our mailbag episodes. We absolutely adore the interaction with our listeners and want to give this portion a special place in our podcast. So please keep sending in your thoughts and picks. We'll definitely be saving them for the big discussion episodes. And I can't second hard enough how much we really do like hearing from you guys. It's fun and we've missed it on the hiatus. So please give us a shout out and share your thoughts on everything enterprise. So where to continue the discussion with us or to share your Porthos pick or grappler rating, you can reach me on Twitter at Abby M. Summer. That's S-O-M-M-E-R. And our podcast is at First Flight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can listen and subscribe to our show on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and most other major platforms. Please note that on YouTube only, we do not have an individual First Flight feed, but we can be found under the Tricorder Transmissions channel. Check out some of our play cousins on there as well. Chris, where can people reach you? Well, you can give me a hail on Twitter at ShelfNerds or on my YouTube channel, Completing the Shelf. We want to thank you for spending this time with us. We'll be back next time with Shockwave Part 2, the first episode of Season 2. And thank you again to all of our First Flight friends for your patience and for hanging with us over our hiatus. We are so pumped and excited to jump into Season 2 with you. And as always, we leave you with this quote from Jonathan Archer and your moment of Melanie. The most profound discoveries are not necessarily beyond that next star. They're within us, woven into the threads that bind us, all of us, to each other.